Pastors often find themselves ill-equipped to lead churches after seminary. But Charlie Wingard of RTS Jackson wants to change all of that. And he's going to join us on this episode to talk about the challenges that young pastors face as they take on a lead role in a church, as well as pitfalls that lead to burnout. What does burnout actually mean? How do we actually think about practical ways to make sure that doesn't happen to us? He also provides practical ways that pastors can develop elders, deacons, and leaders in their church through honest feedback and intentional discipleship. So if you're a pastor looking for on-the-ground guidance from a seasoned veteran of the ministry, look no further. Check out this episode. You're listening to That'll Preach. On this episode, we have a guest today, Charlie Wingert. He serves as professor of pastoral theology and dean of students at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, prior to that, he spent 28, or actually 38 years, 38 years as an ordained pastor in the PCA and the OPC, and he currently serves as minister of shepherding at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Well, thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be with you. I really enjoyed getting to learn about your life and family before we uh, uh, started the broadcast. Well, I appreciated just talking with you. I mean, you have a very kind of warm demeanor about yourself, and I think that lends itself probably to to a good, you know, uh, pastoral ministry as as you're ministering to people. And it's really incredible. I mean, you've been doing this for close to four decades. So you've got a wealth of experience, and that's really what I'm hoping to, to to hear from you. And I think a lot of our listeners will love to hear that. That's stuff that you can't really pick up in a book. So I love I love pastoral ministry, and I want all the students that I serve at RTS to love it as least as much as I do. Well, why don't we just get started with that? I mean, I think obviously you're a seminary professor and you're a pastor. And so you kind of occupy those two worlds, which gives you, I think, really, really valuable insight into both and how they integrate with each other. And you're also around young guys a lot with, you know, your seminary professor and, and, you're, and you're interacting with them a lot. Um, what are some challenges that new pastors face when they enter into ministry? You know, you got a guy, it's his first time being a senior pastor. You know, he goes in. And what are some common challenges and obstacles that they encounter? Well, I think some of the challenges stem with uh, changes in our society. Uh, Not as many men come to seminary, uh, having been raised in confessional churches, having learned their catechisms, their hymns, their forms of worship. And so I think that can present a challenge as uh, really a person comes to seminary and has to figure out what life is like within a, a local church. Uh, they may not have never uh, led an organization before. As a matter of fact, um, I say one of the big challenges that seminarians face is many uh, come having not been in any kind of leadership position. Uh, so they need to learn how to lead then there's certain skills that uh, you have to have if you're going to have a fruitful ministry. 
And uh, I, I think when pastors get started, uh, many of the problems that uh, arise are uh, either because they don't have the skills that they needed before they arrived at their first church and uh, and don't know how to cultivate them. And uh, the other big problem that I think that um, young men face when they enter into the ministry is they come with unrealistic expectations, and especially in the area of conflict uh, uh, prior to um, uh, arriving in their first church, their experiences in the church, limited areas that they've been in them may have been overwhelmingly positive, where their gifts have been affirmed, where uh, they and their spouse have been highly loved and esteemed. And uh, they get into a church and uh, there's conflict that they did not expect and they don't know how to address that. And many times uh, uh, there's a distance between the congregation and the new pastor. And that's something that they did not expect. And I, I tell a young man that you just go to work pastoring the church caring for people, be engaged with them. And I think most of the time, uh, as you build the trust of the, uh, build trust with the congregation, uh, that they'll begin to respond uh, to, to your care with love and affection, but it takes time. And uh, I, I want to help um, men enter into the uh, ministry with a good set of skills and also uh, with a realistic expectations for their first year ministry. I, I think that uh, one of the uh, reasons why men exit the ministry within the first five years, we've um, been alerted to that concern by any number of studies, the number of men that leave the ministry relatively early. I think uh, uh, laying to one side any kind of moral failure, I do think that the two principal reasons are uh, 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 that they came without the basic skills they needed, and uh, then unrealistic expectations. Maybe backtracking a little bit from your own personal experience, what was it like when you first assumed uh, like a, a, a lead pastor role, a senior pastor role? What was that experience like for you? Well, if you'll let me go back before I became a pastor, I had a lot. Uh, I was ordained in 1985. This will give some perspective. Uh, before I was ordained and took my first church as an ordained minister, I'd had a lot of experience in churches. My father, when I was 11, uh, took a church and uh, was a Presbyterian pastor uh, where it was appropriate, uh, where, you know, visiting an older couple, he would take me along with him. And I would uh, seem talk to people about spiritual things, uh, open up the scriptures to them, pray with them. Uh, and then and when I got my driver's license, he might send me on an errand, take this book to an elderly lady in the congregation. And while you're there, don't forget to share scripture and pray with them. And so I got to see a lot of, uh, I obtained a lot of on-the-job training without uh, really um, thinking about it. My father never encouraged me to become a minister, but he included me where it was appropriate in his work. I had um, gone to many, many funerals, seen what he did. And so my father was 
my mentor. And I feel in large part, especially in the area of pastoral visitation, that what I do now is just what I learned from my dad. And most young men just simply don't have that kind of uh, experience. And so we work to uh, help them uh, get what they uh uh, what I would like to see them have uh, from, from a mentor at, uh, before they um, leave seminary. Uh, in uh, 1980, I graduated uh, from a, a small Episcopalian school in southeastern Tennessee, uh, the University of South at Suwannee. I graduated uh, from there, and two weeks later, I, I was pastoring a church. I was in the old liberal denomination that still had evangelical Presbyterian churches. Uh, they had a church that they were planning to close down, uh, but uh, wanted to give it one more shot. They couldn't find anybody else to uh, take the church uh, in a rural part of southeastern Tennessee. So I went uh, there a couple of weeks after I graduated from college, started pastoring, and then got added to that charge. Three other churches where I had a, a mentor that occasionally uh, checked in with me to see how I was doing. Uh, and so I would preach um, every um, uh, Sunday at least once, sometimes twice, and uh, then I was leading midweek uh, services. Um, uh, so those four churches, then at another time in seminary, I was student pastor of two more churches, as well as being a ruling elder in a PCA church. And by the time I became a ordained minister in the PCA, um, I made hundreds of visits, uh, uh, preached uh, hundreds of sermons uh, and, get, uh, and Bible lessons. And I just, uh, when I arrived at my first church, I had a pretty good sense about what I needed to do. How old were you at the time when you arrived at your first full-time lead position? Well, uh, when I graduated from college, I was 22. And uh, uh, then when I took my first church in 1985, I would have um, been uh, uh, um, 25 years old, I believe. Um, and, excuse me. No, I would have been uh, 27 years old. Excuse gotcha. me. But you had had a lot of background, obviously, with your father, but then just a lot of mini ministry experience leading up to that. Yes, I had. Uh, I had. Um, uh, I did my first funeral when I was in my late teens. Uh, uh, I just was given opportunities. I think probably most young men wouldn't uh, because of various uh, places where I served and needs that uh, uh, these um, churches had. I, I, I got some experiences, probably not uh, the norm. What were some early challenges that you faced, you know, as you were taking your own church for the first time? Well, when I was a student pastor, the most significant problem was that it was just in a small community. Uh, I, I, as I recall, there were four houses there in the community and uh, a small, small farming community. There were homes, uh, other homes in the larger area, of course, where we could uh, draw from, but not too many. And there was no business. Uh, so uh, just uh, going out, talking about the church, inviting people to come, uh, uh, trying to uh, reach people with the gospel, uh, to convince them that in this small church that had almost closed its doors, uh, that uh, uh, there were good reasons for that to make, for them to make that their church home. That was very, very challenging. Uh, 
in my uh, first uh, uh, church uh, after I was ordained uh, to the uh, uh, as a teaching elder, uh, the the biggest challenges for me uh, were uh, learning uh, more about leadership. Uh, how to provide direction to a church, uh, thinking through plans for the uh, future. Uh, those were uh, uh, those were things that were challenging to me. But putting together a sermon, uh, conducting visitation, doing funerals, making uh, trips to the hospital and local prisons, uh, those weren't uh, uh, large challenges. I was used to doing those before I was ordained. Well, leadership is one of those terms that is thrown around a lot. And and I do think that it's one of those things where you can learn some skills, but it seems to encompass more than just a set of skills. I mean, when you think about uh, what leadership is, what kind of leadership should a young pastor seek to embody? You know, he doesn't have all the years of experience. He doesn't have sort of like the gray hair to maybe give him some kind of organic sense of authority. How does a young guy demonstrate leadership as he's assuming a pastoral role? Well, I am i don't think anyone should go into um, ministry where, uh, unless they love people. Uh, we're under shepherds of the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, who loved us and gave himself for us. Uh, and unless you have a deep and abiding love for people, uh, probably you should uh, do something other than pastoral ministry. Uh, I think that that's a uh, foundational that you have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you love Him, uh, that you're attentive to His Word, and that you love the people uh, that constitute Christ's uh, church. That you're willing to invest yourself in their lives. You take your cues from Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Uh, the Savior, uh, who Paul uh, talks about uh, in Philippians too, as uh, he, he refers to the incarnation of our Savior and then his death on the cross as he exhorts the people uh, uh, of Corinth uh, not to look uh, to their own interests, but to the interests of others, not to think more highly of themselves than, than they ought. Those exhortations are rooted in the humiliation and uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his incarnation and in his crucifixion. And I, I, I think that uh, we have to allow that uh, view of our Lord and his uh, work uh, to dominate our ministry, our approach to people, uh, the way we expect to lead. So first of all, uh, I, I think our have to be focused on Jesus and our ears open uh, to uh, his his word. Uh, the, the the next thing that I think that's important for uh, a, a, a leader is that uh, he be a servant uh, to his people. Um, I've never had much interest in gift inventories and uh, that sort of uh, thing. I think when you take a church, you you look. You see a need, and then you throw yourself into it. You'll find out sooner or later whether you have real gifts in that area or not. But uh, as a leader, especially in a small or uh, a medium-sized congregation, uh, people need to know that you're willing to throw yourself into every area of um, life. Uh, 
I, I know that the first youth group that I ever uh, attended uh, was a youth group that I led. Uh, I, I, it just wasn't a part of my um, background growing up in rural Tennessee. Uh, and nonetheless, the church needed someone to work with their young people. And, um, you know, I just got involved in that area, uh, learned how to do that. And uh, I don't think anybody will ever rank me as a great youth leader, uh, but I do think it uh, bore fruit uh, to Jesus' name. You just throw yourself uh, in wherever you see a, a, a need. And uh, then, um, uh, you know, you want to look at other pastors, how are they leading, read past books on pastoral leadership. Uh, I, I think it's a great uh, practice for a young minister to go to an older minister and say, I'd like to take you out to lunch and uh, and just have you talk to me about what you've learned about leading a group of people. I'll be a good listener, take lots of notes. Uh, 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 these are all important, I think, for a young man getting started out in, in the first church. And about listening and broadening that just a little bit, I, I think that um, I do think you have to earn the trust of your congregation. That comes from being present there physically with them uh, by communicating in word and life that you're for them, just as God is for them uh, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, they need to know that you're a person that listens. Uh, uh, pastors, good pastors, are good listeners that are attentive uh, to the uh, concerns of their uh, congregation, not quick to speak, uh, but quick to hear, uh, not dismissive of the concerns that people bring to them or fearful of them, uh, you want to uh, be known as someone who listens to the voices in uh, your congregation. Talk about some of the skills that you said some young guys lack. I mean, you talk about all these aspects of leadership, the positive aspects, but, you know, when guys go into the pastorate, you know, what are some of those things that they're underdeveloped in? Well, the the sense i think of uh the, the confidence that comes from um being able to stand in front of a group of men, say your session, and 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 talk to them about the church's direction, uh, uh, what uh, needs to take place in the church's life, the resources that are going to have to be collected, both in terms of person and finances, uh, the steps that are going to have to be taken to execute any kind of uh, church plan, whether it's outreach evangelism, the building of educational programs the building of a structure. You have to have plans. You have to have steps uh, to uh, lead to them. And you have to be able to present those in an articulate way and also in a compelling way. And I think uh, in previous uh, uh, generations, uh, when uh, young, young men just got these kind of leadership skills earlier. Uh, in my dad's generation, uh, they were World War II veterans. They'd learned a lot about leadership before they um, went went to seminary. Uh, uh, you know, there were, I remember my Boy Scout uh, troop, I, I'm an Eagle Scout. Um, 
And um, I, I, I remember our scout masters just entrusted us with so much uh, responsibility. Uh, let us learn. Uh, uh, they were there. They they knew what was going on, but they gave us a lot of leeway uh, to learn how to lead the people that were in our troops. Um, I, I think more and more parents of young uh, uh, men, uh, when they're in their teenage years and even later, have taken over some of those responsibilities that in earlier times would have been entrusted to young men. And I'm sure all the good intentions in the world, uh, but it's left them uh, deprived of leadership experience that would have benefited them in places uh, uh, like uh, leading, a, leading a church. Uh, you have to understand, you have to know, and we spend a lot of time uh, in our pastoral ministry and leadership class, uh, or a comparatively large amount of time on simple things like uh, uh, budgets and financial reports. Uh, for some young men, the first time they see those are when they're at the session meeting of their first church. By the way, uh, some men will go out in the first um, uh, time they've ever uh, led a meeting uh, uh, is uh, in their um in the session meeting of the church that they've been called uh, to pastor. Uh, I want to prepare men to know how to do that. I really love mentoring the guys that uh, work with me in my church. Uh, when I hire associate pastors, uh, I always try to hire people that want to be uh, a senior pastor. That's my uh, desire to work with men that are past uh, desirous of being either a solo or a senior pastor. And what I tell them is, if you come uh, to work for me uh, for at least three years, if you come to work with me, I will make sure that you will have led in every area of the um, church's life. That includes uh, things like, uh, 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 with my fellow elders' uh, consent, uh, and with my supervision, you'll be uh, moderating some session meetings during that time. You'll be doing counseling. Uh, I'm going. We. I'm a strong believer in evening worship. I'm going to give you plenty of opportunities uh, uh, to preach uh, uh, so that when you leave this place, you'll be able to tell uh, the church that is considering you that you have done while you worked with me, you've done everything that a senior pastor uh, 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 should be doing in a church. And there won't be anything new that comes up in the major areas of ministry. A lot of talk about leadership in the church, and people will talk about things such as a business background, or you think about the executive pastor and these type of corporate terms that are often uh, spoken of when you talk about leadership in the church and how to give direction and vision, all these types of things. And there's criticism about that, but is there anything that we can actually learn maybe from the business world? Do you think that there's skill sets there that should be transferred over that uh, pastors can learn from? Oh, yeah. So there's lots of common sense, uh, that uh, leadership skills that we can admire and business leaders and should learn from. And uh, by the way, uh, you should value that. Uh, I, I, I think a pastor should have some working knowledge of budgets and the budgeting process, but there's uh, no way at least that 
a, a pastor like me is going to have nearly the experience with those as the businessmen in my congregation. Uh, they're attuned to legal matters that I may not be attuned to. Uh, they uh, they they might uh, have ideas about on how to. Uh, cultivate relationships uh, that will not only uh, increase the church's uh, numerical attendance, but also its financial giving. I think we need to uh, to um, prize our businessmen and um, learn from them, uh, encourage them, uh, not only uh, in the work that they uh, do in their own businesses, but also the work that they do in the church, asking them to bring the skills that the Lord has given them, uh, use them in the church for its uh, building building up. I, uh, I, I, um, I, I love my associations with businessmen. Uh, everywhere I go, I join community groups. Um, the last place I served as a senior pastor, I was a Rotarian. I enjoyed my uh, associations with businessmen in that group, learned from them. My wife joined the Lions Club. Those were the two uh, clubs in our small community. So we were covering our bases there. And both of us always joined the Chamber of Commerce wherever we, we we go. We value those relationships. We learn from their men, from the men and women that attend them. And for the businessmen in a community that can provide guidance for us in, uh, in so many areas of the church's life, I really value them. Now, you talked earlier about how you know, you can learn uh, some of these skills and how one of the skills of leadership is being able to set direction and coming in and saying to a church, you know, or to a session, this is the way we need to go. How would you coach a young guy on developing a system like that? How would you coach him on uh, how to, you know, set forth a direction when, you know, he's like he's fresh out of seminary or he's only, you know, he's a younger guy. What are some things you do to encourage him to develop that pathway, to, to, to present a vision or a pathway to a particular goal? Well, uh, the 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 first church that I took as an ordained uh, minister was very small. Uh, I, I, there were under 30 uh, members there, and uh, uh, it was very young church and um, very small number of uh, little children uh, there. Uh, but I looked around at the neighborhoods around the church, and it caused me to think that uh, this is something uh, that we should uh, uh, invest ourselves in, trying to reach all these young families that uh, live in the subdivision uh, subdivisions around, around the church. So during my first year, I did two things. Uh, first of all, and this is, I don't change things quickly. I want to find out why churches do things the way they do. And I do believe you have to earn trust. But the second uh, thing was I, I tried to play to some of my strengths. Uh, uh, I, I, I've done plenty of vacation Bible schools. I used to be on a team that would do multiple Bible schools each summer. And even though we didn't have a lot of kids at the church, uh, I thought, well, this is an area where we could get a, a victory, uh, where the church would become confident in its ability to um, minister, and it would give me an opportunity uh, to demonstrate that I, I could lead. Uh, uh, and so what I, I did uh, very early on, I came in the summer, late summer of or midsummer uh, uh, of my uh, uh, of the year, 
I, I said what I would like to do, if you'll give me uh, the permission to do it, I'd like to organize a Bible school. Well, we don't have that many people to teach. We don't uh, have many children in our church. So you have to learn how to handle those kind of ob objections. Uh, you have to plan, uh, say, well, we're going to have teacher training that is going to occur at this particular these particular times. We're going to have an advertising plan that's uh, going to roll out at these particular uh, times. We need to uh, obtain for our church this, these list of materials that we don't have. Uh, uh, all, all sorts of things have to come together to have a, a successful Bible school, and none of it can be put off to the last minute. And so together we worked uh, 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 on on making uh, plans for this Bible school over the course of the year. And when Bible school week came, uh, we we had uh, many many more uh, children attending than there were members in our church. And some of those families would stay with us and become a part of the uh, church. So I looked at an area where I thought I had some strengths. Uh, uh, had enough of the confidence of the elders uh, and other key people in the congregation uh, to support uh, that work. And um, I'm very grateful that they got behind it. Uh, we got a victory, and it uh, set us um, uh, on, on a course for growth over the next um, five, six years that I was there. Well, that that seems to take a lot of organizational skill, uh, just if being organized. Yeah, I tell the students, if you don't plan, you fail. Hmm. I mean, was that something that came naturally to you, or did you have to develop the ability to plan uh, as I'm, you kind of were, were working? I'm fairly well uh, organized uh, and uh, organized enough to um, accomplish, you know, at, at my first church, uh, uh, accomplish things like a Bible school, uh, a, a capital campaign, a, a building, uh, or at least raising enough money to build a, a, a sanctuary. They built it after I left, but we uh, did the planning before I, I, I did. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, everything takes a, a, a planning. But uh, when I, I got to another church um, that was uh, larger, I had a friend that came and helped me out with some issues in that particular uh, church, and he uh, said, "You've got to think, learn to think more strategically uh, about leadership in the church, especially how to develop leaders." Something that I um, did not give that much attention to in my first church: how to do leadership training, uh, how to um, how to take information that you get in your congregation, uh, you know, the concerns that are raised, and uh, how to evaluate it, how to uh, put to one side things that you're just not able uh, to give attention to. You can't address uh, every problem with your uh, full energy as as it arises. You have to be selective. Uh, he helped me uh, learn how, how to do that, gave me advice on that. Um, and um, uh, so I learned how to learn lead a little bit larger congregation uh, from the expertise of my friend. Talk a little bit also, more about On a steady re reading diet of um, leadership books. And uh, I've told you before, I uh, find lots to learn from them. And um, uh, whatever he gave me, I, I read and read with profit. Well, talk a little bit more about developing leaders. Um, what goes into that? What's a good way practically 
that a young pastor can start to develop ways to develop other leaders? How would he get started? Well, first of all, thinking about ordained offices um, in the church, I I don't think it's uh, wise to take somebody, uh, and we're going to assume they're a believer, uh, but uh, they're not particularly mature, not disciplined in their attendance. They haven't shown too much concern for uh, people in the congregation, but for whatever reason, uh, the uh, the um, pastor of the church or the session likes these men and uh, thinks it would be helpful to the church to make them as officers, assuming along the way that um, they're going to grow into the office. I think that that's not a good approach. I think it's very unwise. Uh, I think what we want to do is to begin uh, at the outset of our time at a church to look for uh, men uh, that uh, God may well be raising up to serve as deacons or elders uh, in that particular church, and then come alongside them. Uh, Usually one of the first men's group, I always have men's groups at the church I go, by the way, that's uh, centered around trying to raise up men that will lead in their home, community, and, and, and church. Uh, the very uh, first lesson I do in every church is an extended series on the uh, elder and deacon qualifications in First Timothy uh, 3, uh, and then the elder qualifications in Titus 1, uh, because I believe that uh, Almost all these virtues and skills that are outlined, um, most of mostly it's virtues that are be obtained, vices to be avoided, and uh, and and a, a couple of skills like managing a household, uh, 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 teaching uh, that uh, can can be cultivated. And so I, I go to work uh, teaching this um, biblical uh, view of what a male leader uh, should look like. Uh, and uh, I'm looking for men with whom that resonates. And uh, uh, perhaps over time, uh, some of these men are are going to, uh, 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 it's going to become apparent to me and to the church uh, that these men are ready to assume the responsibilities of the office. We, uh, uh, I, I begin to uh, include uh, some of them on, say, pastoral visits or mercy ministry uh, uh, visits. I try to get them actually involved in serving And if the Lord is raising them up, they'll want to do that kind of work if the Lord's raising them up uh, for those particular offices. I just think it's a a wonderful thing to talk to men about what uh, male leadership looks like in the Scriptures, encourage it in their families and in their church and as they work in the community, and then to uh, try to ask them to come alongside and uh, share in the work with me. And it becomes apparent, especially in a small church, who would be a good fit uh, for those offices. And um, so that's how I start uh, working out there. Of course, there are non-ordained leaders in the church, uh, male and female. I want to um, encourage people that have gifts of teaching, gifts gifts of caring. I want to encourage them to use those gifts in the congregation where appropriate and to make sure that they have the resources, the prayer support that they need, the encouragement they need to do their uh, work well. So I'm always looking for people that the Lord is uh, raising up 
to serve in the congregation and proactively trying to find places to fit them in, uh, to use their, their, their gifts. When, uh, when it comes time to have officer nominations, uh, uh, we receive those nominations, and it uh, might be a year of uh, training and on-the-job performing of uh, some of the duties of those offices so that by the time uh, a person's name is presented to the congregation, uh, we know well by uh, the way they've lived during that training time, whether that person would make a fit elder or deacon uh, for the congregation. There's a lot of planning that goes into it. And again, uh, I just think, uh, I, I, I think if you don't plan carefully, execute your plans, then, then you fail. What are some practical ways for ongoing training? Let's say you've identified them. Do you have a class, a theology class? Do you have evaluations? Maybe even talking about staff. How do you handle staff evaluation, staff development? What are practical ways that you can start to do that? Yeah, that's a great um, uh, question. Uh, let me talk about, uh, let's, let me just take elder training uh, first. Uh, 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 and uh, uh, ordinarily, especially in a, a larger church, I'm talking about church of several hundred uh, people in that in, in, in a congregation that size, uh, there'll be a group of men who are nominated uh, for the office of elder. Uh, uh, we look, make sure that at least initially, they appear to be qualified to hold the office, and uh, we approach them and uh, uh, tell them what officer training is going to look like. Uh, I want to tell them that it's ordinarily going to be a year-long process. Uh, during the first half, we're studying the doctrinal standards of the church. Uh, that means uh, in uh, in my congregation uh, or denomination that we're studying the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith and the larger and shorter catechism. Uh, we study the book of church order and we uh, uh, we uh, s s s we talk about what church ministry looks like in our congregation, the expectations that we have uh, for our elders. We read books uh, together, uh, an excellent book that I uh, have uh, used with um, elders and uh, two of my churches, and which I have all my students read here is Tim Timothy Whitmer's The uh, uh, Shepherd Leader. I think it has practical, concrete advice on how to shepherd. We uh, read books like uh, that, that together. During the second six months, I'm uh, wanting uh, uh, those men who want to continue in the elder training, I want them to start attending session meetings to get a feel for what it's like to work with the man who will be their fellow elders, and also uh, uh, to begin performing some of the duties of elders, making visits with me or with uh, other elders, uh, 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 coming alongside an elder that has a responsibility for some type of ministry in the congregation, get the feel for what it's like working with that elder in that particular ministry. Uh, so by the end of the year, uh, I, I want men that um, uh, have shown that they have a grasp of our church's doctrine and polity, and at the same time, they've shown uh, an interest uh, in the spiritual care of the congregation. 
Now, talk about staff. What about people working under you as staff? How does evaluations go for them? Because of the added dynamic of oftentimes they're being paid. How, how do you handle that kind of evaluation? Well, it, it, it's important uh, to me uh, to um, make sure uh, uh, that the people I hire, let's first of all talk about ordained uh, ministry staff, if you'll let me do that. Then we'll talk about um, support staff. But uh, for for me, it's very important uh, to make sure, first of all, that the people I'm calling love people. The people that are going to serve as either an assistant or associate pastor, uh, that they have a love for people and they have a good grasp of Christian doctrine. Uh, I, and as I think about evaluating uh, those two uh, requirements, a love for people and uh, doctrinal soundness, um, uh, uh, holiness of life, uh, I sh- those three uh, areas, uh, I, I am insistent that the persons that I hire, that their lives be marked by a personal integrity, holiness of life. That's a non-negotiable. Uh, it's also a non-negotiable that they love people. Uh, I can uh, I can help a man uh, uh, learn in areas where their education has been deficient. I can help a person do that, but I can't uh, I can't uh, take a person who doesn't love people and transform them into someone that does. I, I can't do that. I don't think anyone can uh, do that. So those are the three major areas that I'm looking at. Holiness of life, uh, soundness of uh, doctrine, which includes a grasp of the scriptures, of course, and uh, and and a love, love for people. Those are the three most important things. Uh, I do want to see some level of... Um, self-organization, uh, 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 some track record of being able to uh, lead people. Uh, but I'm not overly concerned that they have a lot of experience. If they've got some experience and have uh, proven themselves faithful in that, then I can uh, bring them into my uh, church and uh, work with them uh, uh, to um, build up the skills that they'll need for the specific needs of my my, my church. So that's how I um, work with um, ordained staff. I believe that it's important that they uh, be mentored. Uh, that uh, I think, uh, you know, I tell... Uh, I, I, when I get a chance to talk to pastors, I tell them one of the most important mentoring uh, tools that you have is your automobile. I, uh, I, when I hire somebody to work with me, I want to make sure that they've got the basics down right. Um, so if we're going to make a pastoral visit in someone's home, I ask them to come with me. They get in the car with me. I talk with them about what I'm going to do when we get to the home. Uh, then we get to the home. Uh, 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 we uh, have our visit, then get back in the car. And on the way back to the church, we talk about what took place, uh, uh, what what we thought went well, what could be improved. And, um, you know, very quickly uh, uh, in almost every situation, uh, I'll uh, turn more and more of that responsibility over to the person I'm mentoring and I'll step out of the way and and they're set uh, to go. But we do that um, with um, uh, with er- er- every uh, 
kind of visit, hospital visits, visits to the prison, whatnot. We end the car, we talk about what we're going to do on the way over, uh, and then evaluate on, on the way back. I just think an automobile is a key ministry uh, tool. Uh, then uh, I, uh, you know, you talk about other areas of the church's life, like uh, session meetings. I want to go over the, with them how you prepare an agenda. You never go to a meeting, either, unless it's just to share a fellowship. Uh, I carry an agenda all, to all my private meetings and all my uh, public meetings, and especially the session meeting. You've thought very carefully about what needs to take place at that session meeting. Uh, I send out uh, my uh, uh, draft docket uh, to a session meeting. I send that out. Um, I send that out a week to ten days uh, before the um, session meeting. Ask for feedback. Uh, people uh, say, "Well, we need to discuss this. We need to discuss that." Uh, we uh, uh, put together an agenda, get all the communications together, and we get those in front of the uh, session before the meeting takes place, so that there's no surprises when the session meeting arises. And uh, you know, a young man that comes to work with me needs to understand how much preparation, how much prayer goes into planning uh, meetings. It's the same thing with the worship service. Uh, I think you probably are getting the idea of whatever we do, we sit down and we plan it uh, care carefully. And uh, so, and I have every reason uh, on the basis of knowing the kind of person that I hired, that they're going to be able to fit in with this kind of um, disciplined um, leadership. Uh, so that's ordained uh, leadership. Uh, I believe it's important to give uh, regular feedback. I'm not a big believer in annual performance reviews because they're not regular. I try to give ongoing, continuous feedback where I see uh, needs for improvement. I want to be able, of course, to uh, point those out. But for every time that I have to uh, talk to somebody about an area that needs improvement, I try to speak more frequently to them about the areas I see them doing well, being a blessing in the congregation, because I want to uh, be an encourager uh, uh, to, to, to them. Uh, with my administrative uh, staff, uh, job expectations have to be uh, clear. Uh, by the way, let me back up with the mentoring. It's also important as a mentor uh, that um, you be willing uh, to receive feedback from the people that you mentor. Uh, you have to model uh, the humility of accepting uh, that comes with accepting criticism. Uh, you also uh, ha have to talk with them uh, uh, through past mistakes that you've made that might help them avoid the same mistakes. And also, uh, uh, you know, from your own pastoral ministry, I'm sure that uh, we make mistakes routinely. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, there is time spent talking with my uh, uh, the person I'm mentoring about um, things that we're trying to do uh, together that aren't working or uh, can be improved, and we want to be honest enough to admit uh, that we've uh, made mistakes or have started down a path that now, in retrospect, doesn't seem wise and uh, need to redirect. But with administrative uh, staff, clear expectations. Again, I hire people persons, uh, people I, I don't want, you know, 
uh, I'm thinking about my wonderful um, office manager in my previous church. Uh, uh, Everybody uh, enjoyed her. Uh, uh, She did her work enthusiastically. She was a caring person. Uh, Sometimes I'd sit back in my office and listen, and she's just calling around in church to check and see how people are doing in in the church. You know, I felt like I had uh, another person sometimes on the pastoral staff, uh, very informal, of course, but um, uh, she was fully engaged with the congregation. I I, I don't want someone working for me that doesn't love people. So again, I'm looking for people that uh, 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 have a certain set of skills. That's important. They have to have those skills to get the job done. But I want them to love um, people uh, uh, too. Uh, they are representing the congregation, uh, 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 and I want them to represent the congregation well. More importantly, I want them to represent the Savior well. That's really well said. A lot of helpful information there. I mean, that's a wealth of of wisdom, and I appreciate the specificity too on on what mentorship means. Um, you know, maybe bringing this to a kind of a conclusion. You mentioned in the beginning burnout. And, you know, maybe with the time we have left, I'd love to hear your thoughts on pastoral burnout and what are ways that guys in the beginning days of their ministry can set themselves up for success so that they don't burn out five, 10, 15 years down the line. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on uh, burnout and um, uh, that I would share. First of all, I'm very insistent that we have a um, clear definition of what burnout is. And I think uh, the definition I want to work with uh, is exhaustion that's caused by overwork, exhaustion that's caused by um, overwork. Uh, 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 And uh, this is back to me as the leader I'm uh, insistent that my leaders take. I give. They have a day off. I'm insistent they take it as a day off. I don't want them doing ministry on that uh, that that day of the the, the week. Uh, family time, whatever you want to do, but uh, you need to have a break um, uh, from from the uh, ministry. That's very important uh, uh, to me. Uh, I also want them to take all their study time that they get. We usually give an ordained person uh, uh, two two weeks of study time. I'm insistent that they take their four weeks of vacation every uh, week. I mean, every year. And um, I, uh, I I don't. I, I think I've always got honest people working for me, uh, so I never uh, am worried about uh, someone telling me an untruth. But I do worry about. Uh, people's ability to recall what they've been doing with their time. So I check with their wives to make sure that um, they're taking that time off. And you say to uh, me, well, that, uh, that that's generous. Uh, you know, maybe it is. But I also know that a well-rested staff will be the highest performing staff. Uh, 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 all things being equal with regard to a desire to do the work and giftedness, a well-rested staff will perform uh, better than one that has worked to exhaustion. And uh, uh, so here's my uh, definition again. 
uh, uh, exhaustion that's caused burnouts caused by exhaustion resulting from over overwork. And there are two things that I think need to be done when somebody is experiencing burnout. Uh, number number one, uh, uh, they need to have somebody that'll hold them accountable uh, to a realistic work schedule. They uh, also need to let they need to live like they believe their theology. Uh, we uh, serve a God who ne neither sleeps nor slumber. He's always working for us uh, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, we can rest because he's always resting for us. We want to make sure that our uh, uh, that our lifestyle represents a true theology of God's sovereignty and his care, care for us. Uh, then when somebody uh, has experienced exhaustion during overwork, I send them to a doctor. I want them, uh, I, 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 uh, exhaustion becomes a medical issue. Uh, I, I want to make sure that there aren't other contributing factors like sleep apnea for one. I just want to make sure they're squared away um, physically. But I think uh, many times what's called burnout uh, is not in doesn't have anything to do uh, with overwork. Uh, I, I, I think it uh, can arise from uh, just the sheer frustration of being placed in a position without the appropriate skills or with unrealistic uh, expectations. I, I, I think that uh, uh, that um, uh, uh, that frustration can come when we rob ourselves of of a devotional life and time spent in communion and prayer with the Savior. I, I, I always want to ask people that are telling me they're exhausted, well, are you taking time uh, with your Savior uh, in, in, your, in the Word? And, uh, and uh, many, many times um, what uh, appears to be, uh, or uh, is many times what's called burnout is in fact a lack of a regular devotional life with our Savior. It leaves the person frustrated because why are they doing their work if they're not doing it to the glory of God in communion with Christ? And uh, also uh, just the sense of peace and joy and love uh, that comes from being uh, with our Savior Jesus Christ uh, in uh, the fellowship of prayer. Uh, then uh, I want to uh, look and um, see what the quality of a person's relationships are. Are, are there um, shattered, stressed re relationships that can cause someone to lose joy in their ministry, and it becomes worrisome, worrisome toil but they're not really physically exhausted. Uh, they uh, simply have, uh, again, uh, become frustrated with ministry because of other areas of their life that need to be tending to. And then there are uh, people that, um, uh, uh, that um, experience uh, traumatic things, an accident, uh, uh, a, a shattered uh, marriage, problems with a rebellious child, uh, these uh, things can um, make just the ordinary routines of ministry almost overwhelming. And again, uh, we need to be uh, ready with counsel, uh, support uh, to help sustain people through these terrible kinds of trials. Uh, that's sort of a broad answer to, uh, to a 
just a general question about a, uh, about a, a, a burnout, but I want to make sure that we understand uh, that overwork causes burnout and we've got a remedy for that. And then we want to um, also uh, be able to identify the things that cause people to be frustrated with ministry that often uh, get misnamed burnout. That's some really good stuff. I mean, that, that's really helpful defining it and then talking about some practical ways that we can think through it. I think a lot of people, maybe it, it kind of sneaks up on you. And it, I think the things you said are helpful in developing that awareness. And uh, I appreciate you sharing this time and, and taking some time out of your day just to share some of your thoughts and your experience. Really grateful for your work. Also, uh, you know, just appreciate your candor, just talking about your own life experience. So, Charlie, this has been a great interview. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show and talking with us. Well, it's been wonderful sharing your fellowship for this brief time, and I hope our paths cross and I get to meet you in person. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to support our work, consider partnering with us on Patreon. You can also visit our website, Instagram, and YouTube channel in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review, and we'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.